0: Welcome to Clubhouse on the Italian Wine Business Club. We are thrilled to be presenting a seven-part series with our fantastic partner, Maize Row Wine Merchant. We are proud to present this series of interviews diving deep into the heritage and legacy of Maze Row's excellent Italian producers. Tune in here every Wednesday through April 16th as we take an intimate look at these respected historic producers and their role as part of the Maize Row family of luxury wines. And remember, these episodes will be replayed on the Italian Wine Podcast every Saturday from March 5th through to April 16th.
1: Good morning from
0: California. Good evening,
1: Barbara and everyone else in Italy. I'm uh, Sarah Bray. I'm a wine writer and educator based in the Napa Valley. And today I'll be talking with another incredible woman in wine, Barbara Widmer, Runs her family's winery, Brancai, in Tuscany. This discussion is a part of a series celebrating the launch of Maize Row wine merchants in the U.S., and I'm so delighted to continue to dive into this portfolio of amazing producers. Welcome, Barbara.
2: Hello, Sarah. Um, hello to everybody. I'm very, very happy to be today with you, and um, as you just mentioned, good evening from Tuscany.
1: So let's dive in, and I'd, I'd love to start with your accent. It's not exactly Italian, so can you tell me a bit about where you're from and how you landed in Tuscany?
2: Well. So- Sorry, you're right. I'm not Italian at all. I'm from Zurich, from Switzerland. And uh, my journey in Italy started 40 years ago. 40 years ago, my parents, they decided to spend the Christmas holiday with the whole family in Tuscany. And, uh, well, they fall in love. They fall in love with the land, with the people, and, of course, also with the food and wine. And so they decided during this uh, holiday trip that it would be a perfect spot for a holiday house. So they looked around and they found a small hill On the top of the hill, there was a house and surrounded the house were some vineyards. And uh, that was actually uh, what happened. They they purchased this hill, which was already called at that time Brancaia and became the very proud owner of a small winery.
1: I think any of us who don't live in Italy, uh, but who have visited can relate to that feeling 100%. It's so beautiful, the rolling hills. And I think that's an amazing start to any story. But I'm curious, it doesn't really sound like making wine was the focus at first. How did that evolve?
2: Well, it's, it's, as I just mentioned, it really was the idea of a holiday house. Uh, but uh, of course, having seven hectares of vineyards around the house uh, makes it very false clear that you have to take care about the, the land, not only the house. Both of it was in very bad shape. So the first step was just to renovate everything. But of course, they didn't really have the know-how. My, my dad was very successful in advertising business. And uh, my mom was, uh, let's say, busy with the family. Uh, so they they had uh, not only a holiday house, but they had a very time-consuming and money-consuming new hobby. So they decided right from the beginning that they really want to make only high-quality looked around for people's uh, knowledge. And step by step, they recreated this uh, small farm and it became just um, year by year more serious for for them, for our whole family. And uh, in the meantime, uh, they also decided, my mom decided to get somehow involved also professional every day on an everyday base, but in Switzerland. So she started a small wine shop to sell, not only to produce our wine, but also to sell our wine.
1: That really sounds like the whole family got involved over time. When did you kind of begin to grow because you didn't stick to those seven hectares? right? We, yes, I mean, we, the
2: seven hectares in the meantime has become 80 hectares. So it's definitely not, not, not a hobby anymore. And it shows also, of course, how much uh, my parents loved and still do love this region and also this business. So they, they invested in the late 80s. They purchased another estate still in the County Classica region. And then the, the last big step we did in the late 90s with the Marema.
1: Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit more specific About where these three properties are and about how big they are, what the differences are between them. Well,
2: Brancaia, which is in uh, the County Classical region to be more precise, in Castellina and County, is today about 20 hectares. And it is between, so we are in the countryside from Tuscany between Florence and Siena. And also the second estate they purchased with Roda and Chianti, which is today also around 20 hectares, is of course in the central uh, part of Tuscany. And the Maremma. Maremma, do we call the south coast from Tuscany. There we have other 40 hectares. So those three spots, there are for a lot of things somehow similar, but at the meantime also very different. They are all of course in Tuscany, uh, they are all surrounded by forest which is um, uh, an important point for us as we are an organic uh, winery. So we do have somehow our own island, our own paradise. If we, if we go a bit closer to uh, Rada in Chianti, that's the position the highest sea level position we do have. Uh, there um, you will have very fresh, clean wine with beautiful acidity. It's the region where we have a, a lot of stone in our soil, so perfect drainage, quite windy. And uh, still in the County Classico region with Castellina, you have a bit more, a deeper soil where you can achieve a bit fuller body wines, a lot of, of flavors, a bit more power in and both of them as I just mentioned are in the countryside so you have a continental climate and nevertheless that they are very close by you really have a quite a big difference in the microclimate. If you go to the coast, so just 100 kilometers south uh, west to Maremma, we have, of course, a, quite an important impact from the Mediterranean Sea. So it's a bit more windy, it's definitely a bit warmer, and it's much drier than in the County Classica region. So to make it very short in the County Classica region, the big goal is to achieve the perfect ripeness. And in the marimba, you have to be very careful to not overripe the fruit. So not to have too much alcohol and even more important, not to have too little acidity.
1: That sounds like you might have to approach farming a little bit differently in both places. But I think we can dive into that in a little bit. I'd love about you and how you got involved so with that continual expansion over the years was the plan always to have you and your siblings join the business no um,
2: I have I have to say I have very modern and very generous parents so for them the biggest wish was that my brothers as well as I that we can choose whatever we want to do in our lives And they supported us always and they do still support us. So for me personally, when they started to ask me, I was probably around 16 16 years old when they started to tell me why why you can't become a winemaker, for me it was not not the question actually. I couldn't imagine myself to become a winemaker. Not only because of the of the profession, uh, but uh, there is uh, no uh, no doubt about that. With sixteen, for me, the idea to take care about winemaking every day the whole year round was just not not something I could imagine. And also not a, 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 an unimportant point was the idea of moving to Tuscany. I just started to go out in Zurich and I thought that it was quite fun (laughs) moving to the countryside was like oh no not (laughs) nowhere so uh, and my brothers they also never ever had the idea to become winemakers today instead uh, of course I'm I'm very happy with my decision Uh, I took many years ago and my Brothers, they're still not in the daily business at Brancaya, but they do support me as my whole family is supporting me. One of my brother uh, was in the advertising business as my father and is today an entrepreneur. So he's helping me with questions of communication and, and marketing. And my other brother is actually a lawyer and a financial specialist. So whenever I have some legal questions or financial questions, of course, he will
1: help me out. Well, that's helpful. Good to be supported. It is <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) And I can imagine being 16 and saying, heck no, I want to stay in the city. It's way more fun. (laughs) So what eventually drew you to joining the wine business and and specifically to winemaking? Because you you can do the kinds of things your brothers do and and be involved but you really studied winemaking was there a moment you remember that changed your mind
2: yes yes absolutely i mean i I started to to start uh to study architecture, and then um i i still love it and i have to say i have uh, and still have a lot of different interests but uh, at a certain point i start to realize that i may want to become a great architect i have a very clear idea of my own taste which is probably totally wrong but uh, it's just how I am and I have very big difficulties to adapt my taste to other people's taste and uh, I thought this is not really uh, what uh, a character you should have as an architect so I was a little bit frustrated with myself and I I went uh, for a summer holiday to Tuscany a late summer holiday uh, which sounds now very very strange, but it was my first harvest because a Swiss a summer, a Swiss holidays are always before or after harvest. Uh, in nineteen ninety three, I really had my first harvest, and this was just very inspiring. It was beautiful. It was fun being with those people. It was fun going into the vineyards. It was. It's just something so beautiful to pick a ripe fruit, bring it to the cellar, having a sip of 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 juice, and then seeing just in a few days how this juice becomes wine. So this was literally for me a very special moment. And so during this, this holiday, I called my parents and I asked them if I can take a gap year from my studies as an architect and try to find out if wine is my, my way to go.
1: Of I'm course, sure they were happy to have that phone call.
2: I, I guess, I guess. They tried <laughs> to hide it, but I'm pretty sure that they were uh, very happy about my call. And So, of course, they agreed. And, um, and I was looking for stage in a winery, and I found a very beautiful place in Switzerland, uh, which was at that time, and I think it's still the biggest organic wine in switzerland and they they said so- suddenly yes of course i can come and so i was with them for 12 months i did uh, six months every day in the vineyards which was very helpful and is still very helpful this this experience and then i had other six months every day in the cellar and honestly already the first week was for me um, so clear that i was on my way
1: oh wow so- it's so important that you you got to see the full cycle of of the winemaking year and how the vines changed and got to be in the cellar for more than just harvest. That's exciting.
2: Yes, it is. It is, and and I had I I was very lucky to have uh, very open minded uh, people at, in this winery, so I was really able to see everything. I was from the first day a part of the team and. Uh, I mean, you know, we are speaking more than thirty years ago, so I would say very modern for the, for thirty years ago to give a young woman without any experience, not even in gardening <laughs> this opportunity
1: So then did you go study winemaking officially after that after after that, I went to the university and I studied winemaking, yes. And then, when did you move to Tuscany full time to, to be at Brancaia?
2: That was harvest uh, ninety eight. In 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 my first three years uh, in at Brancaia I also had a home in Switzerland, so I went back sometimes, and then uh, I started also to I stopped also to go back to Switzerland very often. So since 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 ninety eight, I really are totally in charge for Brancaia whatever Brancaia is doing, I'm part of it.
1: Well, I want to go back to your first experience in Switzerland working with an organic winery. I think that's really something that sounds like it's informed you going forward because you've spoken about the land quite a lot. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your philosophies and and maybe even some of your views on, on land stewardship.
2: Well, there's... For us, no doubt about that, the quality of a wine starts in the vineyard. Uh, so, our whole focus is really to achieve the perfect ripeness, the perfect quality. We believe actually that each single block we do have uh, in each single spot, so in Rada as well as in Castellina and Maremma, does have the potential to become our top wine. And we, let's say, in other words, we really do dream to produce only high-quality grapes, and we do fight for this dream. That means that in every single second, we we, we just do whatever we can do, and we stop dreaming only uh, the moment when we do pick the grapes. That doesn't mean that we don't want to make high-quality wines afterwards, but we, as soon as you pick the grapes, you do have to accept the reality, and you have to do the best out of it. Um, if it would be a pity not doing... Uh, the maximum in in the vineyard, it would be uh, also a big pity if you would do too much out of a grape in the cellar. So you have somehow to accept where you are and what you have, but each single block is really cultivated by its own. It will be picked, hand-picked by its own. It will be vinified and matured by its own. So we can follow each single variety, each single position, just till shortly before it's so we can also get a lot of knowledge out of the, the, the young wines, uh, out of the wines, of things we may have done perfectly well or of things we may have to change in the future.
1: That's interesting. Uh, you were talking earlier about the differences between the two properties in the Chianti Classico and the Maremma. So do you have the same grapes planted everywhere to the same degree or... Are you modifying your plantings based on these microclimates?
2: No, our our focus in the County Classico region is definitely on, on the Sangiovese and on the Merlot. We do have also some Sangiovese and Merlot in the Marema uh, estate, but um, if I... If I could start or would have to start today by zero, I wouldn't plant Sanchevese Merlo at our spot. I would love to underline that if I do speak about Chianti Classico or Marema, I of course speak about our estate. Both regions are big regions. That means a neighbor made us have a, a, a different uh, experience and different opportunities than we do have. But in our spot at the Marema, it's really extremely dry and hot, and the Sanchevese and Merlot, they do suffer. So I have uh, actually beautiful experience there with the Diverdo, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Cabernet Franc. Uh, those three grape varieties do mature perfectly well uh, by dry farming. The Sanchevese Merlot, unfortunately, do need irrigation.
1: So it sounds, though, to me that you then plant less of those there uh, because it's so hot and dry because you're not looking to use irrigation is that correct
2: well for them i have to use because otherwise they wouldn't uh, mature but uh, it's definitely something in, in the near future uh, i i i also i also would be happy not having anymore so our focus is on on grape varieties now which are maturing by dry farming there uh, we believe that by dry farming we can achieve uh, a better and more interesting fruit a more authentic fruit and with irrigation, on plus, of course, we do have always in our mind uh, the, the ecological point of view. And of course, if I am at a spot where I can do, mature perfectly well, a grape, without using any water, uh, then I just think that it makes more sense.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense from a quality perspective as well, just trying to make sure you're connected with the place you're growing the, the grapes.
2: Yeah, you have the, the roots, they're going just more into deepness. And we are convinced that by dry farming, we can achieve some flavors, which are not only flavors from the grape varieties, but also from the, from, from the location, from the spot where they do grow. And that's very much point where, which we are looking all, all the time. We want to produce wines uh, with a very strong link to the spot. And of course, uh, from our point of view, dry farming helps to achieve this this connection.
1: So it sounds like dry farming is important to you as a tool uh, in your kind of views on sustainability. But what else are you kind of thinking about and looking at?
2: Well, when we are speaking about uh, sustainability, we we actually try to look at it in a in a three hundred sixty degrees view. That means from a ecological, economical as well as a social uh, aspect. And uh, when we are speaking about social aspect, of course, our people, our team is in 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 the middle of it. We uh, really want to to give them a clear uh, feeling that they are part of. Of, of the branchia we we need our people we need them to do their best work uh, otherwise we can't achieve the quality we are looking for therefore we we actually try to stil- stimulate them to make courses we uh, will go with them to visit other wineries sometimes with the whole team sometimes in smaller groups uh, of course we we as a team building uh, and as we just spoke we have different spots so not everybody is every day together so we try to bring those people regularly together and of course we are keen to get feedbacks from them to try also to improve wherever any proof is needed.
1: I think it's actually so important that you make this point about kind of the social and the human side in winemaking. Um, Thank you. I, I think the fact that you are looking to make people feel like they are at home at Brancai and part of the family is, you know, you can feel that in the wines.
2: I mean, you know, we have, we have 80 hectares. It goes without saying that that I and my family, we can't do it by our own. So we need, we need a team. We need a team uh, who is believing in what we are believing
1: as much as we do. So beyond your team, um, how else are you thinking about sustainability from the other sides of that? 360 degree view?
2: Well of course uh, there is of course the whole production part but before I will speak about this I want to show you that it goes really much deeper than that. Whenever we are doing of course a building we want to use only materials from the region. All the workers are coming from the region so we will want to keep the the whole environment here as as healthy and as local as possible. When we are speaking about packaging, uh, we are um, sensible of uh, how heavy the bottles are, so we we do avoid uh, heavy bottles. Also, the whole material, whole packaging material, is uh, we always try to find the um, material which gives us the idea that it comes from from uh, sources so old paper raw material is certificated that it really comes only from sustainable management forests uh, and uh, of course we do measure our carbon footprint uh, not every year but uh, every second year and uh, it goes without saying that it is negative but uh, with measuring it when you do measure it you have some people from outside and they will ask you thousands of questions and thanks to those thousands of questions um, you will find every time something where you still can improve a bit and so this is very helpful but of course our main focus is in the vineyards this um, with, with 80 hectares of vineyards and uh, close closely as much uh, forest of course um, there is a big um, impact on what we can do and what we have to do and so um, it goes without saying that we are an um, organic uh, winery. All our vineyards are uh, the whole year-round cover crop, so that's, that's a, a, probably a very important and, and great po- point for a winery. It's true that our focus is to produce grapes, but uh, if you have uh, cover crop, you are actually not in a monoculture uh, situation, because you have in in between the vineyards, you have a lot of different uh, other plants. You have flowers, you have grass, so you can create really a flora and fauna, which, is in a, which can be in a, in a really healthy balance to, to each other. So uh, we can totally avoid any kind of pesticides and herbicides in our vineyards. And we can really see that all those steps do bring back a balance. Uh, into our vineyards and uh, we do have definitely um, in the meantime more birds and we do help them also with some bird boxes so there, there, there we already did a lot and we will do even more in the future just to to get get the balance back to nature which is for us, the way to produce not only healthy, but also better quality and more typical grapes.
1: It sounds actually that the ecological and economic sides of that sustainability equation actually relate to one another. You don't have to, you can protect the environment and then you don't have to pay for the pesticides and herbicides. And yeah, It's, it's to, not
2: a compromise, yes.
1: Right. It's, I like hearing the, the way you're thinking about it as benefiting one another are you also seeing the benefits from a qualitative perspective doing all of these things are you feeling it in the wine
2: uh, yes we are we are really convinced that our our grapes uh, they do ripe better and they do ripe also more in a more authentic way in a more they do have more link to the to the position where they are we do have you know if you if you have a look today at the at the wine industry i mean we are wine lovers and we are extremely spoiled we have great wines from all over the world and every year you will have even more great wines so this is of course as a wine lover as a wine drinker this is outstanding from my point of view as a winemaker this of course means also that i do have uh, as much concurrence as never ever before so what what can i do to make our wines different to other wines and there is actually from my point of view a very simple uh, solution to it and of course the solution for branchia is from my point of view the same solution for everybody else the one thing i do have very unique is my land my vineyard there is nobody else producing wine at my vineyard my grapes so whatever i can do to link those grapes those wines to my soil will make them unique make them special and that's actually whatever we are doing in the vineyard is always with this focus to give this link to give this this authenticity to it and we believe that of course organic farming is helping us a lot and through organic farming we do also see that that our wines are getting healthier healthier and stronger uh, and better
1: have you actually seen that in specific vintages, you know, we've had recent very hot vintages like 2017. And have you seen that the the vineyards are actually looking to be more resilient against that, those kind of heat spikes and extremes?
2: We, we do think so. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's always uh, certain doubts you always need to have uh, in, in, in viticulture because you can't really compare it one to one, let's say side by side. But we do think that in 2017, which was very dry and very hot, that first of all, just during the vintage, we were able to achieve uh, a beautiful quality which uh, was not so guaranteed. But uh, the even more important learning was the vintage afterwards, 2018. I mean, you have to know that whatever you uh, grow in a vineyard during a year is actually a product from the previous year. So we honestly were a bit afraid that 2018 may could be uh, quite um, small in quantity because uh, the wines were stressed in 17 so maybe they didn't have enough energy to produce uh, all the information for the next vintage instead 2018 really showed so beautiful it was balanced and the quantity was there the quality was there so there was we couldn't see uh, any damage from 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 the stress from the previous year so we do think honestly, that organic farming uh, helped us. And of course, we are also very privileged that our wines do have a quite high average uh, age. In the County classico region, we are now around uh, 35 years, and in the Marima, we are close to 30. So an older wine can manage extremes, of course, also better. Uh, but yes, we, we, we believe that, uh, that there was a quite an important uh, difference.
1: Well, I have some 2018 in front of me and... It is tasting beautifully, and I can't wait to talk about that with you in a bit. Okay. But <laughs> Speaking about vines for a moment, you were just talking about vine age and the more resiliency of the vines, but how are you approaching um, any sort of planting or re your vineyards going forward? How are, how are you selecting your materials?
2: Uh, for, first of all, our our goal is not replanting a vineyard by zero, so we would love to let's say, go on with the same vineyards forever, so that the average age of our wine would increase every year a bit. But of course, you will lose sometimes a wine, and to replant those, we are using since 2017 a selection, so that means for quite a few years before 2017, we started to uh, select the best wines in our vineyards. Um, the first selection is a, a quite an easy selection. You just walk through and, and, and you look for the most beautiful plants. And then if the grape uh, looks also beautiful, that means um, more or less small berries with uh, enough space uh, between the berries Uh um, and then, then that's already uh, really interesting. Then, of course, you will pick the grapes. You will uh, also make a micro fermentation to have a check how the quality of the grape is uh, regarding the wine. And then uh, after all those tests, of course, you will also go into the laboratory to have a look if uh, those wines are not only beautiful and taste good, but if they are also really healthy. And doing this one year, of course, is not enough. You have to do this over five years to be really totally secure that the material you have selected is perfect. And when you have all those steps done and proved, you will start to reproduce those wines, and that's actually what we are doing now. So all our uh, wines, which are replanted, are coming from our selection from our own wines. And another really important point is a wine which is selected by us needs to have at least 25 years at our property.
1: It sounds like a very long multi-year process. But everything we know in viticulture and in winemaking takes a lot of time. You were just talking about some very scientific things. So is that informing a lot of your winemaking, or are you seeing that you know science is just a tool uh, in your approach to making your wines?
2: Well, you know, I'm, I'm Swiss, so I try to be very precise, and uh, so it's it's we have a, a huge database, and uh, we try to. Compare one with each with the next. We try to compare one miniature with the next. We try to make a lot of tests and we try to do them as precise as possible. But uh, on the other side, I truly believe that winemaking making is not uh, not not science. It's never really totally precise because we always have have nature in between. So whatever we are doing, uh, it's actually Impossible to do it one to one exactly the same the next year because it will be another vintage, it will be another condition. So uh, for me, for me, winemaking on high level is is honestly a bit more philosophy than than science. You have to believe very much in what you are thinking. And on the other side, you have to try to be open mind to uh, try new things. Um, And this balance between being extremely convinced in something and at the same time being open mind makes it very interesting and very challenging.
1: Talk about how many different wines you are making.
2: Well, uh, we are doing actually uh, one white wine and a rosé, but of course it goes without saying that our main focus is on our red wines. And uh, we do have six different red, uh, red wines in our portfolio. In the Chianti Classico region, we are producing um, a Chianti Classico Anata. It's 100% Sanchevese, very light, fruit-driven, uh, beautiful, high acidity. And we have a Chianti Classico Reserva, which is already more structured, more body. It's um, 80% Sangiovese, 20 Merlot, and matures uh, for 16 months in barrels, in small barrels. And so instead in the Maremma. Uh, we have uh, Ilatraia, which is our flagship wine uh, from our Marimma estate. Uh, it's a beautiful blend of uh, 40% Petit Verdot, 40 Cabernet Sauvignon, and 20 Cabernet Franc. And then we have, let's say, the little brother of Ilatraia, we call number two, as it is the second wine from this estate, and it's 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. And then we have uh, what we call a baby super Tuscan. Uh, it's Brancaia Tre. It's a blend of both regions. Uh, We call this wine tray because it it's a blend of the Castellina, Rada, and Marema, and it's also a blend of Free Grapes, San Chavis, and Midland, Company Sauvignon. Our top wine in the Chianti Classico region, it's a Super Toscan, and the name of the Super Toscan is Il Blue.
1: That's the lovely wine I have in my glass. <laughs> okay. we, can, we can dive into it. We have some special okay. things to talk about. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that sounds good. The packaging of Il Blue, which, anyhow, Il Blue packaging is always, uh, for us, very special, because our very unique label this um, square this blue square and the black square inside is a label uh, designed by my father 30 years ago and uh, may you can imagine how special this was this label design was 30 years ago so when we had last year with the 2018 our uh, 30 years anniversary of course we had uh, somehow the issue to do something special i mean it's your anniversary you want to celebrate it you want to to speak about it you want to show to people that uh, you have to celebrate a very important uh, milestone in in your work and uh, so we fought uh, for quite a while and uh, it took us not so long to be convinced that whatever we wanted to do it had to be a branchia label it had to be very clear and a blue label so again there are not so many things that you can change and you can work on Uh, uh, this process was very interesting for us because we learned again that with just a few little things you can actually change a lot so for the first time in our history we um uh, used a different kind of paper. The Brancaya labels never had a structure. Now they are a cotton uh, paper, so it feels thicker, it feels more natural, and um, it feels somehow warmer. And the black inner square become golden, which gives us, of course, the idea of anniversary, of celebration, and makes it even more elegant than uh, it, it has been before. And then it does have a beautiful wooden box, and uh, on, on the top of the The wooden box, our logo, is uh, actually done with a recycled metal uh, plat, so it gives also the idea of recycling, but it gives also the idea of something that does change with time, which we do think is a perfect fit with the wine, which is, of course, also changing with the time.
1: Well, I think it's quite striking and is a lovely update to something that was already quite modern and I know you said your father was an ad man, and I'm sure he brought some of his his aesthetic to the wine as well. So it's a beautiful update on a pretty timeless label. Thank you. So beyond just the packaging, um, can you tell us a little bit about what you taste in the wine and what you love to pair with this? Well, first of all, Il Bleu,
2: it's, uh, as I mentioned before, it's coming. Comes from the County Classico region, but as we don't follow the rules for the County Classico, it's an IGT or what you normally call in the US a super Toscan. It's a blend of 80% Merlot, 10% Sanchevese, and 10% Cabernet Sauvignon. We uh, pick, of course, the grapes only by hand. Uh, each single block, as I mentioned before, will fermentate separate and will mature separate in barriques, so small barrels and two thirds of them are new and one third already used. It matures in the barrels for 18 months. After the 18 months, we will do our last tasting at the barrels. We will taste each single barrel just for the last quality control. Then we will blend uh, the whole quantity. And then the wine will mature for other three months in a concrete tank. It's an untreated concrete tank. That means the wine does have a direct contact with the concrete material. Um, This is very important to us because we do like to have this uh, little micro-oxidation going on, which uh, softens the tannins uh, even more. And uh, it really helps the wine to become one unit. You know, you have to imagine before each single barrel, which is 225 litre, was for 18 months by its own. And then it does have just three months to get the unit. And then uh, we will bottle the wine and keep it for at least one year in the bottle at the winery before we sell it. As a wine, of course, the focus uh, Clearly on the Merlot with 80%, we have a, a very full body, elegant uh, wine, a, a lot of uh, fruit flavors, but there are also some some flavors uh, of, of, of soil, herbs, and then uh, in the mouth, uh, it actually will be, it's, it's an elegant wine, so you have pretty high acidity, but not, not in a way that it would be dominated so I would say all ingredients are very well balanced uh, and and you have very the tannins very mature extremely well integrated and it, it remains in your mouth really for quite a while so um, I actually want to have an hour's sip but um, I had it um, just an hour before my first sip and it remained in my mouth for quite a while you can actually enjoy it right now I would probably recommend it to decant it an hour before for it. But of course, you can keep it easily for quite a while. And if you say quite a while, I would say at least 20 years in your cellar.
1: Yeah, I think it has a really beautiful freshness. Um, I I poured my glass about an hour ago as well. And it it started out so fruity and and you could really get that juicy Merlot. And now I'm I'm getting a little bit more of the Sangiovese structure, maybe a little bit of the minerality on the finish um, from whether it's your site or the the concrete at the finish it's yeah. it's really quite lovely yeah i'd say it's
2: you know burn wines are wines which are going perfectly well with food uh we are we are foodie principal we are we are always in the kitchen and having some food and wine it doesn't really have to be always um a fancy dish it can be also just the perfect uh piece of cheese but uh, of course this wine i do think goes extremely well with red meat and uh Personally, I would say my my favorite, um, of course, coming or living, not coming from Tuscany, Tuscany, but living in Tuscany, I would go with the bistecca, Francina. of course. <laughs> uh, you know, any, any any kind of real big nice uh, meat goes extremely well with this wine.
1: Yeah, I I also would like to just note um, for those who haven't had it, it there's a there's a, a lightness, so it's, it's got the acidity, but it's it's also not too heavy of a wine, so. I think that does go quite well with food. It doesn't always have to feel like it's packing a punch to to balance with some heavier meats. So I I I look forward to trying it with a steak sometime. That's good. <laughs> well, I think this is a wonderful place for us to in our discussion um because how else do you do you top that? You just say chin chin and congratulations on 30 years. <laughs> Let me ask anyone here, if you have a question, Um, there's a place to raise your hand on the bottom right corner. We have Barbara here uh, for a few more minutes. Andre would like to know about your um, Gran Selezione, which we didn't really dive into too much. Can you talk a little bit about that category? Well, I actually, I
2: didn't mention the um, the Grande Selezione because it's a wine which will be released in September. So far, we didn't have the Grande Selezione in our portfolio, and uh, our Grande Selezione will be 100% Sangiovese, so um, very very focused on on the typical grape variety from the region. Grande Selezione is considered today at the so let's say the top quality of the Chianti Classica region. So you have a Chianti Classico Anata, which is a wine uh, that matures more or less 12 months in a cellar. Then you have a Reserva, which has to mature at least 24 months in a wine cellar. And then you have the Grande Selezione, which tours at least 30 months in a, in a cellar. It has to be, it does have also some different rules. If a Chianti Classic in the Reserva has to be at least 80% Sanchevese, a Grande Selezione has to be at least 90% Sanchevese. Of course, all of them can also be 100%. Uh, so, in um, very easy, Grande Selezione is the top quality uh, today. It's it's quite a new category, but today it's the top quality from the Chianti Classic region.
1: And will it be? A different color label, I think Andre also wanted to know.
2: Yes, but for there, you have to wait uh, another (laughs) two, three weeks, and then it will be official. So if you follow me on Instagram, you will have uh, very soon a clear idea about the color label.
1: Well, I think that's a good place to leave it on with a little bit of anticipation. So follow (laughs) Brancaia on Instagram, it's our (laughs) takeaway. (laughs) Well, if there are no other questions, I will just say thank you again. it's. I can't wait to come visit. Um, some come sure. see your beautiful properties and see, you know, with our own eyes what you are doing. Your commitment to biodiversity and to sustainability is really quite inspiring. So thanks for sharing your story with us.
2: Thank you, Sarah. And of course, whoever would love to come, we love to have visitors. Uh, it's really a beautiful spot. Uh, we do offer. Different kind of tastings. We have since three years also a little osteria, so a place where you can have a lunch or a dinner. You are more than welcome uh, to come, and whenever whenever you have time and you are close by. Fantastic.
0: Well, thank you all. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our new Mays Row Wine Merchants series. The focus is on excellence, family, legacy, sincerity, and innovation. Tune in next Saturday for the next installment featuring another in-depth and intimate conversation with the Heritage Italian wine producers that form the core of the Mays Row Italian wine family. To learn more about Mays Row Wine Merchant and today's featured producer, see our show notes and visit their websites. Don't forget to subscribe and like our show and tune in to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your pods.